going to be in John chapter 4 this morning, and um, a message that I, I shared, and I want you to understand, I, I don't normally do this. Um, a couple of, several months ago, I was having a conversation with a guy who had been, who, who's come to our church some, and, and he was talking about some things. He said, you know, like when you redo a sermon, and I said, yeah, I don't do that. And he goes, no, I mean, when you pull one out that you preached before and you just rework it, I said, I don't. I don't do that. Every single time I stand to preach, I, I preach something fresh and new. Okay? I just don't rework sermons. Okay? I've got 31 years of, of sermon files, and, and to my knowledge, and I mean, I haven't preached the same text before, again, but I don't preach a sermon over. But a couple of Sunday nights ago, I had the opportunity of sharing with our association what I believed needs to be the focus of our association of churches. And this week, I was, I was done, I'd studied, I'd, I had my sermon ready to go, and Wednesday, the Lord just really began to burden my heart that, that I needed to share something different with you this morning. And, and so Wednesday afternoon, you know, just as I prayed, God really laid on my heart this message, and so I took it and I reworked it, okay? It, it's a little bit different when you preach it to a church instead of a bunch of different churches, but I want us to understand this morning, I really believe, and, and I think that this is the reason the Lord burned my heart is because it is a great follow-up to where we go. Matt did a super job last Sunday of, of kind of connecting where we go after our harvest event, where we go forward as a church, and, and what God really wants from his church today, and, and, and what the Word of God teaches us pretty much through the example of Jesus Christ himself. And, you know, if we could figure that out, if we could begin to do what Jesus did, you know, I know that was popular several years ago. We wore those bracelets, you know, do what Jesus did, and, and, or what would Jesus do? And, and if we could begin to put that into practice, we probably would be pretty close to being the church that he's called us to be. But what happens to us a lot of times is we get caught up doing our stuff, okay? And, and our stuff doesn't look real appealing to the world. But we believe Jesus is appealing to the world. We believe that, that Christ is the Son of God, correct? I mean, we, we believe. And, you know, I, this week, it's it just been, it's been a week of, of kind of sentiment. You know, my, my dad uh, earlier this week texted out a picture of my grandfather. He would have been 95 this past week. And, and, uh, and you know, and, and my dad just kind of put this little caption on the bottom. You know, he's celebrating his birthday in heaven. And I thought at first, I thought, that's just, that's just crazy. But then I thought, no, it's not. You see? Heaven is this real place. Heaven is a place that we can touch and taste and see and feel. Heaven isn't just this spiritual place where we're going to go and we're going to hang out on a cloud with the angels and we're all going to get little harps and have cute little white halos and white robes and white wings and white harps and, and white, you know, it's just, it's not. That's not heaven. And, and we've allowed the, the, the world to, to, to take heaven and cram it into this idea. Instead of hearing what the Word of God says about heaven. See, heaven's a real place. You're going to eat in heaven, but it's going to be the best food you've ever had. You're, you're going to play in heaven, and it's going to be the greatest physical activity you've ever enjoyed. And you're not going to hurt when you get through doing it. You're, you're going you're to work in heaven. And I know there's some of you thinking, man, I know. No, you're going to work, but it's going to be work the way God intended it, without toil, without pain, the way that it was in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned. Heaven is real. And it's not some movie and it's not somebody that's gone and seen and come back. It's what the Word of God teaches us 
and, and because of that, you see, I really believe if we could get the idea of what heaven is really like, it would begin to drive us more to make sure more people are going. If I were to ask you this morning, what's the purpose of the church? We could all say and probably quote the purpose of the church. We, we know what the church's purpose is, but, but the reality is, is that really our culture? I mean, do we really let the gospel of Jesus Christ, that message that, that must go forth? Because, you see, the Bible says that unless people are born again, the Bible says unless people come to Jesus, the Bible says Jesus' words, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except to me. He's it. You're not getting there because you're a Baptist. And you're not getting there because you're Catholic or Methodist or Presbyterian or Church of Christ or, or non-denominational. The only way you're getting to heaven is through Jesus, period. And so if we really believe that and know that, and we, we would say that we do, but is that the culture that really drives our church? Because what, what we see is Christ, when he came, came to a religious culture. And it was a culture that was propped up with tradition and ritual and routine and regulation. And that tradition was creating people who were damned. It was creating people who were headed to hell. Oh, they were religious. They were religious down to the, a tenth of their mint and their dill and their salt and their pepper. They were religious to the, down to the, the letter of the law and the clothes that they wore on Sunday morning. They were religious. But they were headed for hell. And it's because they missed out on the purpose of why Jesus Christ was coming. And so I want to share with you just very briefly this morning some thoughts about how you and I can truly begin to impact the homes and the lives and the marriages of, of the people that Jesus Christ wants to reach in our community. Not just adopting them into our system. Making them look just like us on Sunday morning. No. See, I really think Jesus is tired of people looking like us. And what he really wants is people who have changed hearts, changed homes, changed lives. And so we're going to look this morning in John's gospel, the fourth chapter, the story where Jesus interacted with a woman who was lost and a woman who was really messed up. And he told her some truths. And I think in those truths that he tells her, he tells us this message, eyes front and center. If you have your Bibles open there, the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor God's word as we read it together. Beginning in verse 1, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but, Jesus, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. You may be seated 
And may God bless his word this morning as we stay together. What would Christ say to his church? How, how would he change what we do on, on, on a daily basis in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our businesses? How would he change what we do at church to, to truly put our eyes front and center on his purpose? I think we see that in this interaction. And, and I, my prayer today for us as a church is that, that we would begin to look through the eyes of Christ at everything we are doing to reach people, to connect them to the body of Christ and to Jesus, to grow them through, through the study of God's word, and, and to have them begin as people of faith to seek what it means to be before God in all that they do. So the first thing is, is that we need to understand ministry shouldn't surprise us. Okay, It shouldn't catch us off guard when Jesus wants to work and who he wants to work in. Look in this account over to verse 27. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water jar and went into town and told the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, the disciples have been with Jesus for about a year and a half now, okay? They've been going through, and they've seen him do some really incredible things. They've seen him hang out with tax collectors. They've seen him deal with women who were caught in the act of prostitution. They've seen him uh, uh, deal with, with people that the Pharisees wouldn't deal with. He's healed people on the Sabbath. He's eaten bread when he wasn't supposed to. He doesn't wash his hands like all the Jews did. He's not very religious in what he does. He's in a religious system. He's recognized as a rabbi teacher as this person, but he's not very religious. And they've watched him do these things, and as they've watched him do it, there's been this process in their life where they've questioned him. Hey, why are you doing that? But by now they've realized nothing about Jesus surprises us anymore. And so while they are surprised, they don't say it. They just wonder, why is he talking to that woman? Okay, I mean, in this day and time, men and women didn't communicate like that, especially not in public, especially not a man at a well by himself with a woman. It just didn't happen. It wasn't good, didn't look good, wasn't supposed to do it that way. And not only that, this woman's a Samaritan, okay? And the Samaritans weren't people, they were people who had, had mixed their religion, okay? They had taken some of Judaism and some of the paganism when they were, they were uh, captured and, and, and they blended those things together and, and so they, they just had a really mixed up idea of what it meant to be a Jew. And so here is Jesus doing the unexpected. Nobody expect him to minister, and certainly not to this woman. In fact, Jesus is going to identify in just a moment all the problems that this woman has. He's going to talk to her about some of those things that are going on in her life, but, but yet the disciples come, and, and they're surprised, but they're learning, and it's just better for us to be quiet and watch what he does. Now, what does he do? Well, he talks with the woman. I want you to look at, at the encounter of Jesus between her. Look at verse 9. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying you give me a drink, you would ask him for, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, verse 13, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water, spring up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. 
I don't have a husband, she answered. You've answered correctly, I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus told her, and he moves on down in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. How many of you have ever tried to tell somebody about what Jesus did in your life, and the first time you tried to tell them, they ignored you, laughed at you, ridiculed you, or never had anything to do with you again? They resisted. Anybody? Okay. And, and, and what happens to us when we do that? Notice the woman. Okay. Do you think that there was anybody who was ever a more perfect witness of who Jesus is than Jesus himself? Probably not. But notice, this woman starts out and Jesus is interacting with her. I mean, Jesus is the son of God. If he wanted to, he could have gone, and her mind would have been changed. But what does he do? He starts where she is. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, see, at first she just knows Jesus is a Jew. She can tell that by the way he acts. Then, then she moves forward as he interacts with her. And Were you greater than Jacob? Are you, what kind of Jew are you? She's going a little deeper. Then Jesus tells her, hey, go call your husband. You're right, you don't have one. You've had five and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Okay, her, her life is messed up. She's been divorced five times and she's not living with her husband at the time. But Jesus doesn't condemn her. Jesus doesn't say you're a sinner. Jesus doesn't say there's no hope for you. Jesus doesn't say get out of here. Jesus speaks to her where she is. And then she goes, ha, you must be a prophet. I mean, notice the progression. Jew, what kind of Jew? You must be a prophet. And then when you see the woman's witness, when she goes into the town and she tells the men, the Bible says, come see a man who told me everything about myself. Could he be the Messiah? She progresses. So why would it surprise us if it takes more than one time of inviting somebody or sharing with somebody or praying with somebody or encouraging? Why would it surprise us if Jesus progressed this woman? Why would it surprise us that it might take a while for us to get people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. One of the things that I pray the Harvest event taught us is this. God is still in the business of wanting to reach people. And we have to begin to believe that. And we have to begin to believe that and begin to put that into practice again. You, you see, what happens is we want to practice our tradition. Yes. Jesus rebelled against tradition. They killed him for it. It's not about tradition, guys. It's not about what time we do it on Sunday morning. It's not about the music we sing. It's not about if we sit in pews and we read out of this Bible. It's not about do we dress up or dress down. It's not about any of those things. It's about people are lost and they're going to hell. If you and I don't begin to tell them about the one and only, only begotten son of the living God, Jesus Christ, we've got to begin to believe that. And we've got to begin to let that push us and move us and motivate us to tell people time is short. But the problem is we have taken the things, and I'm not saying that the stuff we do is wrong. 
There are good things. The church is important. Jesus Christ died to set up the church, his body. But the problem is we have conformed the traditions to the things that we like. Instead of using the traditions to reach people for Jesus Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really date myself, okay? Anybody here honestly know who Arthur Flake is, okay? I know Larry Will. I know Neil Will. Anybody else know who Arthur Flake is, okay? See, even our new seminary guys, Matt and Josh. Matt, you have a clue who Arthur Flake is? Okay, Josh, Arthur Flake, okay. It's your assignment for tomorrow, okay? <laughs> You need to look up who Arthur Flake is. You're probably Googling him right now. I, I, pray, the, I pray the internet break, okay? <laughs> Arthur Flake is a guy back many years ago who came up with what was known as Flake's Formula. Anybody ever heard of Flake's Formula? Okay. Flake's Formula was a method for increasing attendance in Sunday school. He was the guy that worked for Lifeway. He's a Southern Baptist. He came up with this, this method to increase Sunday school. And the method had five points. Flake's formula was five points, and everybody went to seminary had to learn Flake's formula, okay? Flake's formula, first of all, know the possibilities. You have to know your possibilities. Is it possible that there's some people around you who aren't in church? Know your possibilities. Number two, enlarge the organization. In other words, create new classes, new Sunday school classes for people to go. Number three, provide the, the resources, the stuff, rooms, books, tables, chairs, okay? Number four was train the workers, train people to reach people for Christ. And number five, go get the people, okay? That was how you grew Sunday school. Know the possibilities, enlarge the organization, provide the resources, train the workers, go get the people. Anywhere in there did you hear teach the Bible really well? See, that really wasn't the issue. Sunday school was never designed to be the teaching arm of the church. Sunday school was designed to be the reaching arm of the church because it was a lot more easy for people who were friends with people to invite people to come and sit down in a Bible study than it was to teach them the Bible. But the problem with us is this. We're more comfortable teaching people who are already here than we are reaching people that Jesus wants to reach. And so we've conformed Sunday school into the teaching arm. And we do a great job. And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about Baptist churches as a whole. We do a great job of teaching the Bible. But we are doing a really poor job of reaching people for Jesus Christ. We've conformed the things that are good to what we like. Instead of allowing the things that God wants to do to touch people. So when that happens, the second thing that Jesus teaches us here, okay, first of all, don't be surprised where God wants to work. Brookshire's, Walmart, gas station, grocery store, dollar store, everywhere you are, God wants to work, okay? Don't be surprised where he wants to work. But the second thing is that we shouldn't neglect the opportunity. Look at verse 29. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Why is that important? The disciples, these 12 guys who are being trained to be missionaries, who are being trained to tell people about Jesus, who are being trained to be the ones that are going to carry on the ministry, have just gone into the town of Sychar. 
These guys who were supposed to be the next 12 greatest evangelists, they've gone into Sychar. They come back from Sychar and no one is converted. The woman goes into the town and says, come meet the Messiah, and the whole town gets saved. Why? Because of the attitude of the disciples. See, I promise you what was going through their minds when they walked into the town was this. These people are Samaritans. They don't like us. They don't look like us. And they're not going to listen to us. And so they told no one. And because they told no one, no one got saved. You and I need to realize everywhere we are, every moment of every day is a ministry opportunity to tell someone about Jesus Christ that Jesus wants to touch. And we don't know who those people are. All we know is that we're interacting with people and we need to be going out and telling people that he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords and that what he did in my life is enough. And if he did it in my life, he can do it in their life. And not only if he did it in my life, he wants to do it in their life. Do you really believe he's king of kings and lord of lords? Do you really believe what he did is enough, that there's nothing else? What he did on the cross, when he said it's finished, it really was. It's finished. Do you believe that? And if we believe that, we need to begin to tell people, if he can do it for me, he can do it for them. And one of the things that the harvest event taught us is this. People are still hungry for Jesus Christ. They may not know it. They may not know what they're hungry for. They're looking for a lot of fulfillment a lot of different ways. But what they need is Jesus. And God wants to use us to do that. And the third thing, very quickly, is I need to start looking in the right direction. Look at verse 31. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I, don't, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is due to the will of him who sent me, he said, and to finish his work. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look to the fields, for they are ready for harvest. On any given Sunday in Eastland County, I want you to hold on to these numbers. We have about 4,000 people who are in all of our churches of every denomination that are evangelical. Okay? Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Church of Christ, uh, non denominational, Baptist, uh, whatever, you name it. If we added up all the church attendance on any given Sunday morning, uh, Pentecostal churches, churches of God, there are about four grand of Eastland County. Ranger, Cisco, Eastland, uh, Rising Star, Gorman, they are about four grand there in church. Of a population somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 20,000. So that means on any given Sunday, there are about 20 to 25%, one out of every four at best who actually get up and go to church somewhere. That means on any given Sunday that there are about 14 to 16,000 people who have nothing to do with Christ. Guys, we don't have to go to Peru for a mission field. Okay, we don't have to go to Africa. We don't have to go to Mexico. The mission field's right here in our back door. And there are people who need to be reached. There are people that you work with who need to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are people that, that we interact with at school. Teachers, there's some student who needs to know Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you'll open the door, I'm not saying you have to, don't do stuff to get you in trouble. Okay, don't be stupid, all right? But if you'll be available, God will open the door for you to share with him. There's some parents, teachers, and some of the students that you teach who desperately need to know who Jesus Christ is, okay? 
employers, there's some of your employees who desperately need to know who Jesus Christ is. Customers who come into your places of business desperately need to know who Jesus Christ is. The people that you go drink coffee with desperately need to know in a real way who Jesus Christ is. And we need to begin to tell them who Jesus Christ is. And the way that we do that is by looking at the people that Jesus Christ wants to look at. Think about it. The disciples are looking to Jesus. Rabbi, eat. It's about Jesus. They're doing good things. They're looking at Jesus. They're wanting to minister to him. They're wanting to take care of him. And Jesus is saying, would you quit looking at me and turn around and look at what's coming? Why? Because the disciples are in this little holy huddle looking at Jesus. Oh, we love you. We want to serve you. We want to feed you. We want to do. And Jesus is looking at the crowd of the town that's coming behind them. And he said, would you quit looking at me and start looking at the people who need to be touched for Jesus Christ. God wants us to reach people. That's who he's looking for. So when are we going to start reaching them intentionally? instead of hoping that they show up some Sunday. When are we going to start telling people about Jesus? Instead of just hoping that they show up, hoping that they make it. There was a husband and wife who were fighting. Can anybody identify? They were fighting, having an opportunity for growth, an argument. And the wife looked at her husband and she screamed, you're impossible. And her husband looked back at her and said, no, I'm next to impossible. <laughs> Guys, I would not advise you trying that, okay, next time that, that somebody says that to you. Now, I, want, I want to use that to, to show you something. There are people all around us, and the honest truth is, we think it's impossible. God can't reach them. They're too far gone. They're too far out there. It's impossible. I mean, stand up. Jackson, stand up. Y'all stand up. Brad, stand up. Okay. Fine, stand up. All right. Turn around and look at this group. If there were ever a group of men who were impossible to reach, <laughs> it would not be them. But you see, they're next to impossible. I know who I am. You guys can sit down. I know who I am. I know who I was. And if Jesus Christ can reach me, and he can change my heart, and he can change my purpose, then there is no one who is outside of grace. Those people that we think are impossible, they're too hard, they're too callous, they're too difficult, they're too this, they're too that. No, they're not impossible. They're next to impossible. Because you and I are impossible. Because we are sinners saved by grace. Changed. Instantly. Because of who Jesus Christ is. And what we've got to begin to do is to look at people that Jesus Christ wants to reach. And when he reaches them, they may not look like us. They may come to church on Sunday morning 
and not hear or be able to sing the hymns. They didn't grow up that way. They may not know when they pull a Bible out of the pew where John is. They may not know who John is. They don't have to. John ain't going to save them. They need to know Jesus. And maybe they do. And that's good. But we got to quit hoping that people show up on Sunday morning and start reaching them. Because we know and believe that Jesus Christ alone saves. It's time for us to start doing everything we can to get them here. To tell them about Jesus. So that by all possible means, he might save some. There's some of you here this morning. Maybe you started coming during the revival. Maybe, maybe you just kind of hanging out and, and you're coming. And maybe you've been in church your whole life. And the honest truth is you are just like the Pharisees. You're religious. And, and, and the truth is there's never been a time in your life where your heart's been changed. You got baggage upon baggage upon baggage. You have messed up so bad, man, you, you're, you're ashamed of who you are. And you think, that's not for me. That's impossible for me. No, it's not. It's not impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. And what Christ wants to give you right now is a relationship that will change who you are. It will change your marriage. change your home. change the way you work. change the way you interact with people. change the way you drive. It'll change the way you talk. And, and, and hear me, this ain't a perfect church. If it were a perfect church, I would not have just said ain't. Two stories that I want to tell you, and I really debated on whether or not to tell these or not. Two stories I want to share with you just real quick. Because I want you to understand that Jesus takes us where we are, and he saves us. And I don't tell these stories to glorify any particular person or, or, or to lift up or exalt any, anything anyone did. But I want, I want you to understand what I mean, okay? Crusade, Wednesday night, we're baptizing. We got a water trough here, and we got a water trough over there, and we got people who are working and serving. Josh and Matt are baptizing here, and I'm, I'm getting to baptize up in the warm water and all that stuff. And there's a guy who comes to get baptized right here. And he steps in the water. Okay, now I want you to get the picture. He's, Ronnie's preached. He's given an invitation. He is saved. His heart has changed. He goes out. We pair him up with a counselor. The counselor walks him through the plan of salvation they, to the best of their ability, determined that his decision is real and genuine and right, and he is good, and he says, I want to be baptized. And so we bring him back in, and we get ready to baptize him, and Josh is standing here, and Josh is getting ready to put him in the water, and he hits the water, and the water's cold. We did our best to heat it up. But the moment he sits down in the water, the words that comes out of his mouth, yes, oh, Lord, was not, oh, Lord. He said something that probably 
we wouldn't say in church. I hope we wouldn't say it anywhere. God hadn't changed his language yet. It's a process. God's in the process of, of sanctifying him. You see, the Bible says, I am saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. I'm saved. Grace. The moment I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart, I got all of Jesus that I'm ever going to get. I'm saved. But then I'm also in the process of being sanctified. And that's where Jesus gets more of me. And he starts to change my language. And he changes the way I act. And he changes the way I interact. And he changes the way I am involved with people. Sanctified. I am saved. I am being saved. I'm becoming more like him. And then one of these days, glorification. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, changed. Those are the people. They don't look like church people. They don't talk like church people. They need to be saved. And they need Jesus. Another story. And these two guys are here this morning, and, and I'm not trying to embarrass them, and I'm not going to use their names. But, but through the course of that night, that week leading up to the revival, one of our young families began to interact and, and just sent a text out to a family and said, Hey, why don't you come tonight? Steak dinner, $3, chance to win a car, show up at church. And this husband and wife and their kids show up at church. And through the course of that night, husband and wife are saved. They come down, they talk to a counselor, they get baptized. I don't know why it was always Josh's pool, okay? <laughs> but it's here, and Josh is fixing to get the opportunity to baptize husband and wife. And the husband sees the guy who's sending the text. And he's standing over here, and that guy's helping towel up the people who are getting out. And when this guy sees that guy, he runs across the sanctuary. And it was really kind of funny because we had those tarps down. And when his foot hit the tarp, it was kind of a sliding embrace. What was really cool is after he got baptized, that guy ran across the sanctuary over here and hugged him back. They ran in church. Gospel Matthew, 23rd chapter, 15th verse, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you traipse all over earth to win one proselyte, and when you win him, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Guys, we don't need people that look like us. We need people who are saved. The people who can reach other people who need to be saved. If that means that it's uncomfortable for us or if it means somebody sits in my pew or if it means that the music's a little different on Sunday mornings and what I like, if it, whatever that means, that's our purpose. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. What does Jesus want to do through you?